Well, good morning, faith family. We'll say hello to those in our live venue. If you have a Bible, please turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. It almost sounds like we're making progress through the book of Acts. We've been studying over the last several weeks about what it means to be a church on mission, what it means to be a Christian on mission. And I trust that you've been challenged. And boy, this text is going to challenge us this morning about how we live our daily lives being open to those opportunities that God gives us each and every day. So if you're able to stand, would you please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word? Uh, this morning's going to be a little bit different. Uh, if you're a note taker, you're going to be a little frustrated because I'm just going to teach through the chapter, and then at the very end, I'm going to give you, kind of wrap it all up with some points and some notes for you to take home with you. So if you like jotting stuff down, just uh, hold on. We'll get there, all right? Uh, let, we're going to look at all of chapter 8, but let's just start reading here in verse 26. <clears throat> Luke is writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. These words are breathed out by God. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a, a eunuch, a, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he's returning, seated in his chariot, and he's reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep that's been led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? Is it about himself or someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here's water, what prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when he came up out of the water... The Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. He went on his way, rejoicing. Would you pray with me? Father, there's so much in this passage that we need to learn. There's a lot we need to be challenged by. It's quite possible that many of us have found ourselves in just a, a rut, in a routine where we have lost awareness of those opportunities you put before us each and every day. So Lord, teach us, uh, do challenge us to be a life on mission. We ask it in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. You can be seated. It was just another routine flight to San Antonio. At least that's what Bill assumed. When he arrived at the gate, he could tell pretty quickly this was going to be a full flight, which aggravated him because he didn't really much like crowds. To make matters worse, the flight's delayed. 
When they finally start boarding the flight, somebody's accidentally sitting in his seat. The luggage compartment overhead is already full. The flight hasn't even left, and he's already frustrated. He takes his place in his seat, and he prays. God, let there be one empty seat on this plane, and let it be beside me. You've prayed that prayer, haven't you? (laughs) That's when he heard this. Excuse me, sir. I believe that's my seat next to you. When Bill looked up, what he saw almost made him gasp. He saw a 20-year-old man wearing a full red jumpsuit his body severely disfigured with burns. His face had been reconstructed. His nose was almost gone. Most of his fingers were missing. And he sat down beside Bill. As the plane is taxiing to the runway, both men sat there in silence. And then Bill felt, I don't know if you've ever had one of these, a nudge from the Lord. Start a conversation. So Bill looked at him and said, what's your name? He said, it's Johnny. And Bill and Johnny sat there for a few moments and they talked until Bill could finally gather up enough courage to say, so do you mind telling me your story? And Johnny said, I'd be happy to tell you my story. In fact, I'd much rather people ask me than stare at me. And for the next several minutes, Johnny shared with Bill about how he and his father had been in a gas tanker accident, had been severely burned along with many other people, how he'd spent three years in the hospital, four years in seclusion, how he'd had over 130 operations just to stay alive. Bill had no idea what to say, but he felt another one of those nudges from the Lord, and he just said, Johnny, I'm curious, in all that you've gone through, have you ever considered God? (laughs) Considered God? Honestly, I've always wondered why God spared my life. But no. I don't know him personally. And for the rest of that plane flight, Bill shared with Johnny about a Savior who knew what it was like to suffer. A Savior, God, who knew what it was like to be afflicted. And by the time the plane landed, a mutilated man had found hope in a mutilated man. Do you think that just happened? Coincidence! That they just so happened on that day to be on that flight, sitting in those seats, to have that conversation. 
What I'm asking you is, do you believe in divine appointments? That sometimes in your life, God is orchestrating, God is designing a moment, and he's bringing that moment across your path for you to be a witness to the good news of Jesus Christ. Do you think that the things that happen every day of your life are just a coincidence? That waitress at Applebee's, that trip to the DMV, running it to an old friend at Target, the, the unplanned afternoon with the grandchildren, right here, faith family, people who live on mission don't live by coincidence, they live by providence. They live with an awareness a daily awareness that God is bringing people, conversations, situations into our life for mission. It is exactly what happens in Acts chapter 8. We just read it. But before I unpack it, I want us to get the flow of the chapter to see why this is a divine appointment, a divine interruption in Philip's life. So let's start with verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. That's Stephen, if you were here last week. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now notice this phrase, except the apostles. Who's still in Jerusalem? The apostles are still in Jerusalem, but everybody else gets scattered to other regions. Verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. In other words, here's the idea Luke's trying to get across. The gospel is spreading everywhere because Christians are being scattered everywhere. The authorities think they're shutting Christianity down, but in reality, they're sending Christianity out. I couldn't help but think, because if you know like what happens next, Saul's about to be converted and we're going to know him as Paul, but I couldn't help but have this thought. God is basically saying, Saul, I'm going to use you to advance the kingdom whether you like it or not. Whether it's through your persecution or through your proclamation, I'm going to use you for my mission. That's just the kind of sovereign God we serve, and that's totally for free. <laughs> Here's the point. The church grew then, and the church grows now when everyday Christians take the message of Jesus with them every day. The apostles are still in Jerusalem. Have I made that point before? The church grew when everyday Christians took the message of Jesus with them every day. That ought to be really encouraging to you. Do you know why? Because it means you matter to the mission of God. Amen? 
Hello, like anybody ready to jump out of your seat for that one? Like the God of the universe is saying, yeah, come on. I want to use you for my mission. You. You say, no, 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 no. You must have the wrong person. I'm not that significant. Nobody's ever going to really know my name. Show of hands, how many of you can name the person who led Billy Graham to faith? Show of hands. Anybody? All right, big F on your report card. How many of you, how many of you know the name of the preacher that was preaching that night when Charles Spurgeon put his faith in Jesus Christ? Show of hands. How many of you know the names of the people that financed William Carey's missionary endeavor to India? Show of hands. You were really bad students, right? You failed church history. No, I'm kidding. I don't know either. And I took church history, right? I, I failed. But here's the answer. Somebody did. Unnamed, at least with this group, <laughs> but not unnecessary. I can't wait till we get to heaven. And right there, lined up beside all the great heroes of the faith are going to be janitors and truck drivers and maybe a few church elders. I'm just kidding, church elders. <laughs> and school teachers and hotel maids who took Jesus with them every day. The gospel spreads everywhere because Christians are scattered everywhere. Let me introduce you to one of them. His name's Philip. Like Stephen, he's one of the men who served widows in Acts chapter 6. And Philip has what you might call a stuttering problem. He's a broken record. Let me show you. Verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them Christ. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth, that's a good start, and beginning with the scripture, another really good start, he told them the good news about Jesus, verse 40. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. He's got a stuttering problem. He's a broken record, meaning he can't stop talking about Jesus. He is like the words of that great old hymn. I love to tell the story. Tis pleasant to repeat. It seems each time I tell it more wonderfully sweet. I love to tell the story for some have never heard the message of salvation from God's own holy word. Oh, I love to tell the story. It's going to be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Couldn't stop talking about Jesus. Can we? Amen? Oh, me? The gospel spreading everywhere because Christians are being scattered everywhere. What kind of Christians? Christians like Philip! Broken records for Jesus.
You say, I don't know what to say. I, honestly, if somebody asked me about Jesus, I have no idea what I would tell them. Listen, I've told you this before. The only qualification you need to be a witness for Jesus is to have an encounter with Jesus. I mean, if nothing else, share your testimony. But in case you're still one of those that would say, but I need something to say. If somebody asked me, what is Christianity about? I don't know that I know what to say. I want to give you two words. Very simple. You could write this down. It's this. Do and done. Say, would you say that with me? Do, done. One more time. Do, done. Can you remember that? I sure hope so. Do and done. <laughs> Here it's this. Every single religion is due. You want to be right with God? You got to do. You got to be good. You got to be good enough. Here's Christianity. It's already done. Oh, that's good news right there. I don't have to be good enough because Jesus took my place on the cross. Everything else is due. Christianity is done. The finished work of Jesus Christ, he paid it all, and I have repented of my sins, and I have trusted that in Jesus Christ. That's all you have to say is due, done. Now notice the results as Philip is this broken record for Jesus, verse 9. And there's a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. That's really humble. <laughs> hey, guess what? I'm really great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he'd amazed them with their magic. But when they heard Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. After seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. It's awesome. Are you following the flow of the text? The gospel spreading everywhere because Christians are being scattered everywhere. What kind of Christians? Christians like Philip who couldn't stop talking about Jesus and what was happening. People were coming to faith in Christ. They were gathering together. They were listening closely. Makes me jealous. They were believing Jesus Christ. They were being baptized. It is an amazing work of the Spirit of God. And we know that this is authentic because in the next few verses, the, uh, Peter and John will actually come in. It's a very abnormal situation where the Holy Spirit is delayed. Normally, always in the New Testament, when you believe, you receive the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is delayed here. Why? I think it's very simple in the context. Who are these people? They are Samaritans. Do you know a little bit of background there? Jews hated Samaritans, meaning this, ain't nobody going to believe Samaritans are saved unless the apostles come and affirm it. And they do. And the Holy Spirit comes. And you have an authentic belief, even by Samaritans. But there is in the midst of that authentic belief, let me just for a moment explain what's going on here with Simon. Simon says, pay attention, all right? So, What's going on with Simon? He's a magician. 
and he shows us what is true. Jesus taught it in the parable of the soils. We see this all throughout the New Testament, that as the gospel is proclaimed, many people believe, but some have a false belief. It's not an authentic faith. Simon is a magician. Now, when you think magician, don't think Merlin the magician or something out of Harry Potter or like, you know, Gandalf from Lord of the Rings. This isn't like the quarter behind the ear, your grandfather's trick that he did when you were a kid. This is the occult. These are demonic powers that held sway over this city. You do believe that, by the way. Spiritual warfare is an absolute real thing. There are powers and principalities that we cannot even see. And they are holding these people in bondage through Simon. And it appears that he believes, but notice, don't lose me, notice that when Peter and John show up, he gets exposed. Verse 18, now Simon saw that the spirit that was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, when he saw that, he offered them money. Can I get some of that? And they said, oh, he said, give me the power so that anyone on whom I lay my hands will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought that you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray that the Lord, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. He gets exposed and here's why. This is really, really, really important, and then i got to move on. Not all believing is genuine faith. I told you that Jesus taught this in the parable of the soils. Do you remember? He said, hey, a seed's going to get scattered. Here's what's going to happen. There will be some that will give an initial appearance, but it's going to be choked out. It's not the good soil. Here's what made Simon's faith fake faith. He didn't really want Jesus. He just wanted more power. Man, you guys are really awesome. That's a pretty cool thing that you just did. Can I have some of that? Authentic faith doesn't want something from Jesus. Authentic faith wants Jesus. It's not about heaven or the forgiveness of sins or a better life or no suffering, or a girlfriend. You may get those things because of Jesus, but authentic believers simply want Christ. He is not the ticket that gets you into the movie you want to see. He is the ticket and the movie. And that's authentic faith. So what's going on in the first 25 verses of Acts chapter 8? The gospel spreading everywhere because Christians are being scattered everywhere. Christians like who? Like Philip, who are broken records about Jesus, and you have an incredible ministry taking place authenticated by the apostles. And right smack dab in the middle of that, <laughs> he's so funny, that God of ours. He interrupts. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. 
what? I mean, God, I know you know this, but there's kind of a good thing happening in Samaria. They're listening to me. They're believing you. They're being baptized. Man, why in the world would you have me leave here to go to the boonies? You said it yourself. It's a desert place. There's no ministry there. The last time I checked my iPhone, it says I'm supposed to be in Samaria today. Do you see what's going on? Has God ever interrupted your schedule? I mean, in, in a situation where you're like, man, things were going so good, and now you want this? I mean, it would be like having a successful business in Minneapolis, and God comes to you through an angel and says, I want you to relocate your business from Minneapolis to Elko New Market. <laughs> Woohoo! Population 12 and five of them are Feltners, right? Like, why in the world would you have me move from here to here? Be honest with me, faith family. There are times in your life where God's just flat out confusing. Why am I a widow so young? Why did I have to go? Why, why am I going through this season of unemployment? Two years ago today, I'm thinking, God, why Minnesota? No, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. You know I love you. You know I love you. It was like, God, nobody lives in Minnesota. <laughs> but we've all had those moments where we felt like, man, God, this doesn't seem to make sense with my calendar. And the question is, are you sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading when his plan is different than yours? Because, and I don't know that it's going to get any more practical than this, but right here, faith family, it's what feels like an interruption in your day may very well be a divine appointment. Because in this desert place, look who Philip comes across. 27. And he rose and went. There's a sermon right there, Amen. And there was an Ethiopian. Now, you have to understand, to this point, the focus of Acts has been on Middle Eastern Jews. I mean, it's strange enough that you have Samaritans earlier in Acts chapter 8, but now you have someone from Africa in a limo on the side of the road. And notice, he's a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, and he's in charge of all her treasure. In other words, don't think third world country, Ethiopia. In this day, Ethiopia spreads even into northern Africa. It is the capital. It is a very, very wealthy place. And this man is the CFO of it all. But he's an outsider. He's the worst Waldo of the book of Acts. Like, what in the world is this guy doing thousands of miles from home? Out here in the middle of the desert. 
Luke tells us it's because he's empty, he's searching. Notice that the text says that he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he's returning, seated in his chariot, and he's reading the prophet Isaiah. In other words, here's what would have happened. This outsider would have traveled all these miles He's got questions. He's curious about God. He comes to Jerusalem and he's wanting to worship and he would have been told to go home. You don't belong here. You can't draw near. You're an outsider, which means you belong on the outside. So what does he do? He buys, very expensively I might add, a scroll of Isaiah, and he begins to make his journey home, and he's here in a desert place reading Isaiah. In other words, you have an outsider who is searching, he's empty, he's got questions. And as if those things were not enough, Luke mentions at least six times there's something else about him. It's a little awkward. It's kind of like you're watching the football game and the Viagra commercial comes on and you're like, eh, and you flip the channel real quick because it's awkward. He's a eunuch. Why does Luke have to keep mentioning that? You say, what's a eunuch? Kids, ask your parents. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's the best I got for you. <laughs> Let's just say all the plumbing in the house has been removed. Why? Because if you're going to serve in the royal court, castration is required so that there is no threat of polluting the line. It simply means this, a man has said goodbye to family in a culture where family was everything. Man, life is going awesome in Samaria. I want you to go to a desert place, but there's nothing really down the desert place except for an outsider who is searching with questions about God, and he's a man that's been cut off in more ways than one. Have you ever felt like that? Like you were an outsider, like you didn't belong? Well, Philip is going to talk to a man like that because God loves him too. What's he reading? He's reading the prophet Isaiah. Do you think that's a coincidence? Do you think it just so happens that he's reading that scroll? Not at all. Because here's what this man would have been reading. Hang with me. This foreigner is reading, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord, to the Lord say, the Lord will separate me from his people. I'm not going to be an outsider anymore. This eunuch without family would have been reading, and let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. This one who has been cut off is reading, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, 
I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. This man who has been just rejected by religious people is reading, and you see it here in Acts 8, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to slaughter, like a sheep before its shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. Coincidence? I don't think so. Just so happened. Not a chance. Do you know why? Because Philip's going to be invited into the limo. And on that day, in that chariot, in those seats, they're going to have a conversation. And that conversation is going to show a man who's been cut off about a man who will one day be cut off. And in that conversation, a man who's just been rejected by religious leaders is going to learn about a man who would be rejected by religious leaders. And that man who has just traveled hundreds of miles and he is empty is going to learn about a man who's going to travel from heaven to earth and the only thing he's going to leave behind is an empty grave. Coincidence? How about divine appointment? A mutilated man finds hope in a mutilated man. In fact, he yells to the limo driver, put on the brakes, stop the chariot. Why? I see water. And what prevents me from being baptized? Oh, what a beautiful picture. And Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch go down into the water and all in front of his entourage, all the people that's going to know him when he gets home, he professes his faith in a mutilated man, in Jesus Christ. And the text says, even though Philip is led away, he leaves rejoicing. That's Acts chapter 8. What in the world does it teach us for a life on mission. And those of you that have been like the whole time, give me a note to take. Here it is. Okay. In fact, I'm going to pull up the chair and let's have a conversation. Here is the simple lesson I want you to take away from this chapter. Okay. All eyes right here and then I'm going to unpack it very briefly. God uses unlikely people like Philip to reach unlikely people like the Ethiopian. God uses unlikely people like Philip to reach unlikely people like the Ethiopian. Here are the characteristics of Philip, of God uses unlikely people on mission. Here are three things about Philip's life I want you to walk away with. Number one is this, is that he is a man who takes God's commands seriously. Do you realize that every time God told him to go, he went? 
Look at it. Verse 26, rise and go to the south, the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. Verse 27, and he rose and went. Look at verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. I love this. Verse 30, Philip ran to him. You say, well, if God would speak to me that clearly, I'd do the same. Really? What part of go and make disciples isn't clear? I'm I'm totally serious with you, and I'm in the boat with you. The issue is not we need a more direct word. The issue is we need to take the direct word seriously. Everyday Christians taking the message of Jesus with us every day. Here's the second thing Philip teaches us about God uses unlikely people is this. People who have gospel conversations intentionally. Here's your walk away. You ready for your walk away? You looking at me? Talk about Jesus. I'd rather talk about football. There's a problem there. There's a problem there. If, if anybody looked at your life and said, you're a broken record, what would be the thing that keeps being repeated the most? Everywhere Philip went, he was looking for a way to have an intentional conversation about Jesus. Here's the third thing we learn from Philip, and finally, is that God uses unlikely people like Philip in that he uses people who embrace divine interruptions willingly. Here's, the, here's one of the applications I hope that you'll talk, take away from today's message. Crucify your calendar. Hurts, doesn't it? Crucify it. Drive a nail through it. Not necessarily literally, but spiritually. In other words, your prayer as you start the day is, I think I know where I'm going, but you may redirect me. And it may be through a flat tire. It may be my kids making me late. God, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to live on mission, which means I'm going to live with the awareness that your plan for my day may be very different than my plan for today. God uses unlikely people like us, like Philip, who take his command seriously, who have gospel conversations intentionally, and who embrace interruptions willingly. All to do what? To reach unlikely people like Ethiopians. So let me ask you this as I close. What's your scar? What's your scar? It may not be on your body. It may be in the back of your mind. It may be in the depths of your soul. Because the truth is, every one of us here today is just like this Ethiopian man. Sin has mutilated us. You may be divorced, you may be gay, you may be alcoholic, you may be religious, you may be greedy. You may have been sexually altered, sexually abused, or currently sexually addicted. You may feel cut off, not good enough, not attractive enough, not talented enough. I proclaim to you this morning the good news of Jesus Christ. He was cut off from God because you've been cut off because of sin. 
Jesus died on the cross, not by accident, but by divine appointment. Why? So that everyone here today who's been mutilated by sin can find hope in a mutilated man. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us this morning. Again, like Stephen last week and now Philip this week, um, we are so challenged by just seeing portraits of ordinary, everyday Christians who are living out their faith. And uh, I hope that it will divinely interrupt our schedules and to open our eyes to the mission, the opportunities, the conversations, the situations that you bring across our path every single day. Would you use unlikely people like us to reach unlikely people like us. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.